Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I think they will get one of those Champions League places. Should be an absolutely phenomenal achievement for Eddie Howe and his players. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Now you're welcome along. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent here in studio. Good evening. Hi Joe. Latest in the Champions League. Real Madrid 1-0 up against Chelsea. It was Benzema just before the break. Meanwhile, Milan 1-0 to the good at home to Napoli this evening. Second half's just underway. Chelsea have gone for a pretty compact 5-3-2. You won't be shocked to hear so it's Koulibaly and Thiago Silva and Wesley Fofana across the back three for Chelsea. Reese James, Ben Chilwell, the wing-backs, Kovacic, Enzo Fernandez, N'Golo Kante, and then a front two of Raheem Sterling and Joao Felix. For Real Madrid, familiar-looking lineup: Courtois goal, Carvajal, Militao, Alaba, and Camavinga's at left-back this evening, as he's capable of doing when required. It's Valverde, Toni Kroos, and Luka Modric in midfield. And then it's Vinicius Jr., and Rodrigo, either side of Kareem Benzema. Just if you're to take even crude statistics, I haven't seen every minute of the game, but uh, Real Madrid, 60% possession. They've had 10 shots to Chelsea's three. This was always going to be a difficult night at the Bernabeu. I suppose if you're Chelsea, you look at Bayern Munich last night and you would think to yourself, well, don't lose 3-0. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's it. It's like Chelsea are probably banking on some kind of... Uh, creating the atmosphere for some special Stamford Bridge comeback event and yeah it is about like staying in the game that dreadful phrase but it's like there is obviously a great merit to it especially in the 180 minute tie now you still look at the attack and power uh, Madrid have and you sort of touched on I didn't see all the first half I saw sort of a certain amount of it and it's true, like, you know, when you step up a little bit against this Madrid side or give it a real go against them, they can kill you easily enough. So, um, I don't know, like, as we now watch Madrid sort of going on a, a counter and, and Chelsea sort of good uh, recovery speed to head it off, but you have to live on the edge against them a bit, you know, Rodrigo, Vinicius and predatory Benzema. So, I wouldn't fancy Chelsea's job to get it done, but um, it'd be nice if there was something riding on the second leg. Like, is 2-0 a good result for Madrid? They'd probably be happy enough I think with life they wouldn't be too worried no I think Koulibaly their amazing uh, sprint and I, I would think Rodrigo had about a yard or two on him and Koulibaly pace and power outmuscled uh, Rodrigo and in the end had the wherewithal to pass the ball back to Kepa and crisis averted but Chelsea uh, touch on the rack I would say 50 minutes on the clock so plenty going on we'll reflect on Man City last night who were brilliant in so many ways and we'll talk about Ireland's game against the US as well and curious as to what you made of the week on the whole but we should start with the Euro 2028 bid the details I would think most people vaguely aware of at this stage so UK and Ireland bidding to host Euro 2028 submitted to UEFA officially the headline news being that Crow Park has been omitted from the bid Aviva is in Casement Park is in Casement Park finally going to be built Dan is the well yeah we'll, we'll still uh, believe it when you see an element to it but it is the intention yeah there is a one city one stadia principle the exception being London so for instance the stadiums in England Wembley Stadium Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Etihad in Manchester gets the nod 
St. James's Park in Newcastle, Everton's new stadium in Liverpool and then an expanded Villa Park. Mm. Meanwhile, Wales, no surprisingly, will have the Principality Stadium and Scotland will have Hampden Park and then Casement and Aviva Stadium joining the party. 240 million to the Irish economy is the headline. There's always well. a number, isn't there? Always a nice round number. 240 million. Over, I think they said over, to be fair. And legacy. Yeah, yeah, legacy. Lots of it. Turkey also in the running to host the tournament. Decision to be expected in either September or October. I do want to get your thoughts on the specifics of this bid. But first of all, you know you're like vaguely aware of someone's views on things. <laughs> just in a line or two, just give me your view. I, I'm vaguely aware that you find all of this bids talk down the years either tiresome or and and or you think it's also a waste of money. Not that I think it's a waste of money. I, I think I would say in this instance, um, the FAI's outlay would be reasonably small. Um, particularly because the only stadium that's been used is the Aviva which is sort of in place already and UEFA carry a lot of the costs Um, anyway um, and the Dublin City Council have committed to a certain amount of infrastructural elements and stuff like that which wouldn't be coming from the FEI purse to me it's more uh, it's a waste of time and it's sort of to me it's just I, I'm, I've lived through too many instances of this being trumpeted as a wonderful thing. Um, and yet, I think a lot of people who go to football week in and week out, I can't speak for everyone, you can't you know, generalise, um, a lot of people going to football week in, and week in, week out in this country just see absolutely terrible, exist in terrible facilities, attend stadiums with terrible facilities and are naturally fearful and sceptical that you know this this sort of project is just a massive like deflection distraction um, from the stuff and I and I appreciate the point of view you can do two things at once you know you can you can prioritise that on the side um, while getting your house in order in other ways but unfortunately we have no evidence of the house being got in order to get on board with that like we're still going to the same sort of run down stadiums with like crappy facilities with a handful of honourable exceptions Um you know, previously there was talk of like legacy with uh, the Euro 2020 bid. Now I appreciate COVID had life a little bit complicated. I think eventually like half a million was produced um, that go towards the design plans for Daily Mint, Daily Mint Stadium, where the shovel has still not been uh, it's been turned here. And I can start listing projects that have been on the on the radar for a long period of time. Uh, you know, Finn Harps, Glanmire and Cork, um, a lot of other um, stadium or sort of facility. Uh, long-term plans and to me I just would always be of the view that I would like to do that first and then do the tournament afterwards My, it's a bit like to me the major tournament uh, pushing thing is like getting the good room of the house ready you know you have visitors coming over and you get the, you get the front room looking great and you have a very good time but there's chaos in every other room the place is falling apart you know there's leaks you know, there's uh, the heating doesn't work and it works for two or three hours. You know, it's just, and it just doesn't do anything for me. It just does not interest me in any way. Um, and, I, and I understand the counterpoints to it, um, but it doesn't excite me. I don't think, well, that's going to be amazing. Um, to me, amazing is not being frustrated going to a football stadium pretty much every week. And I understand that one doesn't link to the other, but that's why I don't get interested or excited by the other. Just, just yeah, doesn't, doesn't run for me. And again, like, you know, it, it is the type of thing that gets 
people energised uh, about like uh, football in a way that I find it qu- quite bothersome looking back over the history and relations of uh, the Irish political classes and football but very little has happened over a period of time you know we had a time when football was the number one sport in the country in terms of you could argue it still is um, but in terms of probably being the, you know, the national affections you know and at that stage all these weird sort of vanity projects again and you know Bertie Bowles and all of this and we did nothing had actually probably had the political capital and will at that point to to get a lot of things done and didn't really you know and uh, again when when the, the bid story tends to energise the political classes you know political cores everyone's like this is amazing this is absolutely amazing people just say it without thinking this is going to be very exciting um, a lot of football people wouldn't be particularly excited by it not everyone but I would know a lot of people who are just like completely indifferent to it yeah but I mean it's a bit like when People say everyone's so excited to have Joe Biden here. I mean, most people I meet are getting on with their day. Mm. So I wouldn't get too hung up on the Paul cars and the political classes dining out on it. I, I can understand almost their resentment as they do so. Yeah. In this instance, given the minimal outlay, given the fact that the Aviva is very much in place, given that Dublin is well practiced at hosting events, generates whether it's 240 million or another uh, sum, but it'll generate some money for the economy. It's hard to have a great problem with it. I totally understand if you're not that excited by it, but this is not a case of the FEI funneling available taxpayer money towards a vanity project or a stadium or two, which could be going towards League of Ireland grounds. This is pretty much a, okay, we're, we're set up to do this. So, you know, on those terms... I, like you, don't get overly excited by the whole idea of it, but I, I certainly have no objection to it. Whereas if we were talking about a big outlay of taxpayer money going into a, a football project in this country and it wasn't going towards League of Ireland grounds, then I think we'd have to have a real discussion. Yeah, and like I do welcome, I think sometimes maybe... With you're, the, you're, you're a grump is what I'm saying to you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a grump, yeah. I, I'll, I'll take that. But I think there comes a point where you just have to be a grump. Like, you know, I don't want to... Um, without sounding self-indulgent about it but like when you've spent the guts of 20 years working in a particular area of a sport mm-hmm. uh, and the same issue you could probably I could probably play back a discussion from 2004 and a lot of the points from 2004 would be relevant in 2023 yeah. and I you know would be, wouldn't be prickly mad on, on these points still being relevant in 2043 um, and look you know there, there's I, I appreciate you can sound very cantankerous or very mean spirited and say, well, look, is it true? Is it true that a tournament here could be very exciting at the time? Yes. I think the bit will win, by the way. I, I think they'll definitely win. Turkey um, being the main opposition. Turkey are, uh, I mean, Turkey lose a lot in this. I mean, Turkey might have achieved a feat of being more unpopular in Europe than the British government, which you would think is tough, um, but they don't seem to have a great track record with this. Um, so I think they would be fancied. And, and, and of course, like the, the, the origins of this, of course, was the World Cup bid. And um, the obviously, it was felt that it would be better if the uh, Britain and Ireland bid transferred its 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 focus towards 2028 I wouldn't suggest that was like a unilateral decision I'd say the winds were moving in a particular direction where it was advised it's probably for the best you've got a good chance so it'd be pretty surprising to me if they abandoned 2030 and ended up losing 2028 to Turkey 
um, I wouldn't be expecting that to happen so I think this will win so I think we're talking in hypotheticals but we're not really we're talking about something that's probably going to happen yeah, so okay. um, and, and, with, and with that my point is yes I appreciate you could have made some great memories uh, that will you know last a lifetime and I understand the merits of having like there's a lot there's a generation of people who've grown up here who are not necessarily used to football being spoken about in positive terms or experience a lot of great moments on home soil so you know there'll be generational chances for people to go and experience these games here I am completely cognizant of that um, but I suppose in the broader picture of the FBI and everything that's going on at the moment like there's these big strategy plans being pushed out you admit on Marin here as we've talked about previously talking about you know a commitment um, to the game here and I, wouldn't, I don't want to be sitting in five six years time reflecting on what's happened in that intervening period and saying well yes um we're moving down the line with uh, facilities. Wait till the next round. What's the next announcement's going to bring us? What's going to happen? But you know what we have got is we've got the Euros coming here. That's exciting. No, it's it's and, true. and that's it's and true. that's the fear that everyone has, and it's 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 a fear that's guided by history. And until people see differently, um, they will be skeptical. No, it's true, and I think uh, I would find it very tiresome if, at every opportunity, the FAI made this the main topic of conversation and deflected from the reality of yeah. the League of Ireland grounds that you and uh, general talk about. facilities to be fair it's not just well, League like, of Ireland grounds you know in some ways like uh, I reached out to Jonathan Hill a couple of months ago to sit down come in do an interview mm. and just haven't heard back yet about yeah. the state of the game would love to do that interview and it, you know I in, in my opinion Euro 2028 should be five minutes of that interview Grand rubber stamp it, do it, go for it, but that's not really all that important. Yeah. And on Michal Martin's point, Dan, you know, this is the nature of politics, this is the costume business. He also, in this very studio, after we spent 15 minutes talking about the lack of PE at primary school level, made a real commitment to do something about it. Two years on, nothing's been done about it. So hold your breath and all that, not to be cynical about it. But that's politicians. why I'm holding my breath on all of this. That's exactly yeah. my point. Sure, okay. Uh, how, no, uh, hard, sorry, sure, okay, sound very dismissive. <laughs> like, I really see where <laughs> yeah, you're okay, coming yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> I saying, but I, I do think that it's healthy that the debate comes to this. I think there might have been a point in the past where, you know, bid announcements were made and, and it, it really was just a top line interest in it. And I think, <clears throat> like, you do see it now. Um, like I think there is probably uh, a class of, of people out there in the football community in Ireland who've been around the block now for long enough <clears throat> and maybe it's just people a lot of people I know who are of a similar age but they're at the stage now where it's just now nah, like we're just not accepting this now and, and even yeah. like, you know you have small things like you, we've talked in the last year about this culture of like Irish players going to the UK on the cheap which is obviously an issue every time now there's a story of an Irish player going it's a bit of a tangent but like every time now there's a story of an Irish player going for like 50 grand there's generally a bit of a backlash going this is not good this is not good and you also see now as well and I think it's a bit of a legacy of the end of the Delaney era uh, committee uh, stuff that happened those lovely uh, successive Wednesdays spent around Kildare Street and the Dáil and, and Buswell's Hotel and whatnot. Um, that I think now there are probably politicians who see there's a bit of capital to be gained by getting on board with some of these issues you know that they're now maybe talking about yes we need to get on with this because you know it's it's a little bit popular um, to, to make this point now and um, that's a change but I don't think you know go back in a half decade or so and I don't think anyone in football had the confidence to believe that they could do anything uh, through government because they thought only one person in Irish football was capable of 
getting deals done and yeah. making things happen. Yeah, yeah. I also think there's a degree which, like, we've all, as a country, and, and we, uh, we've just all grown up in the last 25 years, the idea of hosting a tournament like this seems so exotic and so beyond where we were. Mm. And now it's like, well, there are major sporting occasions happening all the time in this country. Grand, we can host a couple of Euros matches. But beyond that, where is football in this country? It's yeah. the attitude. As a final point, we were uh, well. Mick was kind of thinking like, it's are we getting that biggest slice of this bid? We were guessing maybe there might be four games in Dublin. Yeah, I think it's going to be more than that. Um, I think that I think that maybe there might be people listening to this who are just very and naturally enough, there'll be single issue focus. Like Ireland going to be in it. It's going to, you know a big point and guaranteed. But part of the and that's not the case. It would appear you know yeah. there's, there's two nations, two spots up, and it may well be that all the nations, um, the five nations, all have to try and qualify as normal. They all participate in qualifying, but then maybe if you know if a couple of them get through and a couple of them don't, the ones that don't there may be a couple of spots held for them potentially it's a little bit up in the air um, but uh, part of the thing was uh, when it initially came out about this automatic spots there was a view that Ireland might be the next best after England in terms of the quantity of games that they have um, they might be the second biggest contributor um, now the, the suggestion today seems to be only be one fewer game than before but I think with that um, I think there'd be a very strong possibility of um, around a 16 game and a quarter final here and group games so um, I think I think that the Irish involvement will be big enough we'll see what happens with Caseman Park it is possible that Caseman Park doesn't make the cut that you know, Croke Park could emerge yeah, um, okay. as a reserve but we'll we'll see and as a Final full stop, and then I do have to move on. How would you assess what the FAI, who to be fair to them, are emerging from an absolute car crash? And who knows what kind of fires are being put out even to this day still. But how would you assess the job they've done in terms of bringing League of Ireland up to a certain standard? You mentioned the various Mm. strategies and the various efforts, I suppose, to procure funding from government. Where are we on that front? Still waiting. Okay. I'm still waiting, and I, and I found myself just on the ground out there talking to clubs and people a lot more. Um, that there's probably a little bit of impatience kicking in because I think I think people you have to be reasonable and understand what yes. was inherited was you know as you mentioned all the words you use are correct. Um, it was going to take time. There was a sort of a rebuilding of relations that was needed, and um, within that there's probably been internal FAI complications. Um, I think, for example, someone like Roy Barrett has been very effective in terms of raising issues like the betting tax, um, and that's maybe a subject for another day. Um, but this probably wasn't being raised before, and a, a more coherent way of looking for money as as opposed to putting out the begging ball which I understand people in other sports would say well hang on you were bailed out a couple of years ago and now you're complaining about money you get from the state what are you doing and I appreciate that point I think they're probably getting a little bit better the FBI in terms of getting the message out in terms of why football is worth supporting the benefits that football provides you know um, the, 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 the sort of the post-Brexit reality um, the sort of the, the, the welfare issues almost of like sending kids away as we did at 16 and I think probably they're getting better at getting the message out there um, but I suppose there is an element of being told it's coming it's happening it's coming we're, we're in the process of this, this facilities all on the League of Ireland last year was expanded out to all grassroots facilities which to me makes it a more onerous task um, but it's always a case of we're, we're getting there we're putting in a proposal for X amount of money and it's fine but 
like you know time is precious here and, and, and people who've seen very little change over a period of time want things to happen yesterday yeah, um, I can imagine but the, I think in two years time 2025 was the first end of their the end of their the strategic plan the first sort of thing they rolled out I think I think people will as you say be judging them on every criteria not just maybe the one or two headline ones that, that might get pushed to the fore I suppose I'd say in contrast to the previous era, era I do feel like there are adults in the room now and they're trying but maybe it's not as easy as it we'd like it to be. Paul and Kerry makes one final point in all this. How is it that we've completely moved on from what happened at the Euro 2020 final less than two years after Wembley was completely overrun by hooligans? It was the scariest experience of crowd behaviour since the 1980s. The English authorities showed themselves wholly unable to handle it. In response, not only are we all pretending it didn't happen, we're now awarding them the next possible international tournament. But yeah, delighted to be part of it. Paul and Kerry. Retweet. I mean, it's a good point, but I mean, UEFA, the one thing UEFA love, love more than anything, is a high-class corporate hospitality. I think that's one thing, if you were to list pillars that, F, uh, that UEFA like, high-class corporate hospitality would be well up there towards the top of the list. Um, and that's why uh, the bid, Wembley's uh, preeminence in the bid will be probably supported Guess by UEFA. The only thing you would say is it was such an unmitigated disaster and tragedy was narrowly averted and be, I don't they, mean to facetious about it sorry yeah, but, like, they, you know. but they they won't you would think allow lightning to strike twice that'd be the only thing you'd say it was it was one of the great lessons in that it didn't cost someone their life it didn't result in some kind of stampede it didn't result in all sorts of things which could have happened and yet it was serious enough that everybody I would presume concerned really had to take stock so in that sense as positive <laughs> as yeah it no be. Paul, but Paul's right to, to, to raise it um, but as I said I think UEFA and like even even around sort of the, the stadiums and facilities I think the, the message is very much like there's a certain type of venue and, and yeah, sure, certain right. box that need to be ticked and I think that does rank above everything um, with UEFA and that's why the bid as I said I think the bid will probably win okay. I think yeah Real Madrid still 1-0 up against Chelsea Chelsea down to 10 men it would appear there's been a red card. I seem to have missed that. We have a bit of a Chris Kamara moment here, but we're talking about uh, bring you the details. facilities. Yeah, we'll get your word on that. There seems to have been a red card for Chelsea. I'm seeing a red card just above their uh, logo. Lads outside are checking, I'm sure. But uh, Real Madrid won Chelsea nil. Chilwell sent off. Chilwell sent off for Chelsea. Straight red. Straight red for Ben Chilwell. So from bad to worse for Chelsea and Madrid are very much on the attack and they have 22 minutes plus out of time to get a second goal or two. The other game this evening, an all-Italian affair. AC Milan won the up against Napoli at home. Our football coverage is brought to you by Sky. Catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports. We are talking last night's Champions League and Ireland USA as well next. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports You're welcome Max So we we mentioned just before the ad break there Chilwell red card Rodrigo was in on goal And Chilwell decided to Take one for the team And haul him down Straight red So It may well pay off It may well pay off Ireland lost 1-0 last night to USA four days after losing 2-0 to the USA we spoke to Karen Duggan at length last night about the uh, week thus far before the game last night she was largely very positive about the 2-0 defeat and the manner of the team's performance Uh, the performance last night (coughs) every bit as good 
Courtney Brosnan made a mistake after what were a very good opening 40 minutes in Ireland's part you watched the game you stayed up to watch it I, I, I watched I stayed up to watch the first half and recorded the second half and watched it this morning okay. um, but I, I probably had it in my head you know I'm going to stay up for a while here maybe watch the whole thing in the morning but the first half was that good I thought the, I think the performance was pretty good mm. and I and this is the thing like um like Fair Power has succeeded where every other previous manager has failed in that in that particular role, rightly or wrongly, it might be harsh terms in some cases, by getting the team to a tournament. Um, but I think you know we've had this. You've had the comparisons with the sort of the Jack Charlton thing before in terms of like style of play and the couple of games I've been at or watched. Sometimes it's a bit like oh it's a long throw let's get it to Megan Campbell here and, and hurl that rocket into the box and play off second balls and see what happens. And you know the the Yes, the, the the sort of the significance of the game obviously adds a degree of tension because you know you want the team to do well. But I would say independently, it wouldn't be a great watch, you know. And if you're not completely invested in it, it wouldn't be a game you'd sort of be massively enjoying at times. And even you know at times, just throwing the big centre half up front and you know chasing a game and it's it's fine like I mean not going into a culture war debate here about another team and, and what's you know, effective like you know show me your medals show me your, your tournament you've qualified for everyone's going to be chuffed going to Australia in the summer um, so this has happened but I just thought last night showed that they can play that they have players who can play and okay it's a friendly so you, you know you're obviously very conscious of maybe are you being afforded a little bit more space to play um, in that game than it would if it was a proper competitive game um, but I just thought like some of the patterns of play were, were good better than what I've seen um, in other matches and um, probably just lack a little bit of that predatory instinct around the area you know, Denise O'Sullivan's a terrific player you know like it's Denise funny, it's so funny you say that because Karen Duggan and I were talking like I said last night and I was making the point that if O'Sullivan for instance had been playing in central midfield for USA she would have absolutely bossed the game uh, she even playing for Ireland I thought she was the best player on the pitch she's 100%. the most talented player yeah. on the pitch both sides of the ball out of possession uh, she's in Golo Kante-esque in her ability oh, to get over the ground and win possession back it's frightening and then on the ball you would have to say she's just Im- immaculate you know she just doesn't give it away yeah. her control is always good her passing is always good it's authoritative it's it's neat it's tidy it's progressive I mean she really would not look out of place in any team in the world and I, I was saying to Karen as well she would be within her rights at times when those around her lose possession a touch more easily with respect to them she would be within her rights sometimes to throw her hands in the air she never gives any sense of frustration mm. never gives any sense of being above some of the players around her and uh She's probably Ireland's most underrated sports person in some ways. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I'd be with you on that. Like, you know, just the confidence to receive the ball sometimes a difficult position. And I felt they were doing that a bit more last. I taken a few more risks, and um, and she was central, central to everything. In fact, like you know, some of the decision making by forward players was actually quite poor. Even Katie McCabe at one point, so you know, terrific move. And okay, maybe the run off by Lucy Quinn wasn't terrific, but. Um, uh, probably even lacking the, some of the composure that O'Sullivan seemed to have throughout the game just looks so comfortable yeah. like so comfortable and I know she's played a lot of football in America and you know probably would have I'm guessing with Daniel played against a lot of those players you know more so than others and maybe there's a natural comfort even that comes with that you know you're not sort of um, phased by it um, I think in most games just generally very good and I know a couple of the players are obviously American born that are involved as well so they yeah. the same I, to be fair I think most games against any opposition American or otherwise she's 
operating at a different level level of composure, even to Katie. Katie's all action. I think mm. Denise Sullivan's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, because I would say after the China friendly, yeah. You and I were dispirited after watching that game. It was hard going, yeah. And you have to say, that was terrible to watch. Yeah, it was, it was. bad. Whereas yeah. these two performances are just a different level of sharpness, different level of like discipline and organisation and very promising. So uh, that nagging thought that you have at the back of your mind that was a friendly and the US made wholesale changes for last night's game in particular and, and there's just those few percentage points that are not quite there when it's a friendly. Uh, the the template that we've seen this week is the template Ireland will bring to the World Cup against often yeah, superior so. opposition. Like it, they will be they will be sticky opposition Ireland for uh, Australia and Canada and Nigeria. They will be tough to break down, and they had a bit more threat. I would say, back to our China point, they had a bit more threat this week than they had against China. Yeah, no, I think I'd be feeling more optimistic about their chances of of doing okay. Like I know, okay, it's it's the Australian winter; it's not going to be sweltering, but they are in like warm enough cities. Like you know, I got Perth and they've got Brisbane, Brisbane Sydney. Um, so like Sydney wouldn't be as was wouldn't be as warm as the other two. Um, but I think as well, there is a point that maybe it's just part of the evolution. Like, and this is very generous reading of it, but you qualify by a certain way and then Virapai recognises, okay, to get to the next level again, you need a little bit more. Yeah. Um, if you go to like warm enough conditions against decent teams and you sacrifice possession completely, well, you're going to tire yourself out eventually like you need to have a little bit more of a threat a bit more control and, and some of those passages where Denise Sullivan is involved it sort of takes the heat out of the things and, and for I should a say minutes. the World Cup schedule which is nearly upon us now July 20th it is three matches in eight days across 8,000 kilometres yeah. so it's a tough schedule to do the blood and guts fire and brimstone performance on three consecutive occasions in eight days yeah, no, it is. It is. And I mean, I, I suppose like, you know, the other element of it, and I, I one thing I see, I wouldn't be mad on it, but it just shows to show things are evolving. Like, I mean, the new recruits that have emerged in the last while, you know, and maybe there's parallels with USA 94. You, you just, again, you, you just get them in if they're good enough, they're better than what you have. That's it. You just make a cold... Um, emotion-free decision in terms of your thinking. As I'm not saying there wouldn't be emotion around it, um, but there seems to be a sense of there's players coming in, getting their chance, you know, adding something to the mix. And it's a case of, in maybe one ways, there was that qualifying plan, as I said, and now this is just the plan B, yeah. which is the tournament plan. Um, and they might be better equipped well, to, to do something w- with it. I would have said Eva Mannion had her seat in the plane booked after her debut. She just slotted in in defence and just looked to cut above it what Ireland had up until that point and then it's been really striking the extent to which Sinead Farley and it's the most extraordinary story to not play football oh, yeah, for yeah. six, seven years and suddenly play an hour for Ireland on the back of just 20 minutes competitive football and for Vera Pair to be that effusive to be effectively saying Sinead Farley changes tactically what we can do once we get her fitness up to speed which I'm sure we will yeah she's probably on the plane isn't it mad if even doesn't that show as well probably how good the levels are in America as well too yeah. like, and I mean I know you're talking about an individual there but 
like you you know that you have someone who could be out, I mean it's an incredible story but like just the purely the football side of it that you could be out of the game for that long mm. and still been able to come in as a 33 level. year old yeah now like I mean I, I suppose that shows in other ways you know that the level itself generally has a way to go like that shouldn't be the case you yeah. know in reality that shouldn't be the case um, but it does show how like some countries are like operating and have a system there that's like you know established in such a way that the level of players and you see that with one or two of the Irish players that have been recruited as well who probably wouldn't have been really on the radar of the USA national team but they're good enough to play for Ireland and it does just reflect the levels that still exist and the game is still growing to a point where it really has like really developed tiers you know the, between the sort of levels of players and um, it's a great personal story but it does strike you as like wow like that you're able to do that is a, about a great thing and a slightly mm, yeah that's a, a reminder there's a bit to go as well Asensio scored for Real Madrid so they're 2-0 up against 10-man Chelsea and there are 10 minutes to go plus at a time so now we're into that Bayern Munich territory of you're still in the game you're still in the tie certainly if not quite the game do not concede a third somehow you'd back Madrid if they were to really push for it yeah I think uh, in some ways for Chelsea it was such a fo- focus on Lampard isn't there I mean yeah. you'd say in some ways like they're probably in that sticker twist dilemma at 1-0 but and well, they've now conceded the second but sometimes going down to 10 men makes the decision a bit easier well here's what we do yeah um, but they've still managed to concede after going 1-0 upon you. You know, in a weird way, sometimes teams can, if they're stuck between two philosophies and then they lose a man, they can sometimes find defending easier with 10 men. Um, but clearly, Madrid have moved them around to avoid that. On Man City 3, Bayern Munich 0, it's starting to feel like a very good week for City. I feel like, in my mind, having really felt Arsenal were in with a great shout, it now feels like City look irresistible in my opinion it was very much two points dropped on Sunday at Anfield as opposed to a lot of pundits saying oh look a point at Anfield is always good and the 26th is looming large it just looks like that 13-14 consecutive match winning streak that people weren't so sure was in City this season is now in them Uh, last night they were exceptionally good in so many ways Bernardo Silva who often gets the nod in these big games uh, one of the great underrated dribblers because you look at him instead of Mares and you think oh well what's he going to you know, I know he's intelligent he's on the ball you lose the Mara's dribbling you really don't so he had an extraordinary game scored a goal uh, John Stones was moving into midfield as well I thought Stones moving in from centre back as opposed to from right back looked so much more seamless and made so much more sense I love the Zinchenko into midfield for Arsenal routine Sometimes it looks a bit too clever by half and you do expose yourself down an entire flank. Whereas last night Stones was able to step in really easily, like, you know, two, three, four, five metres, suddenly he's alongside Rodri and then slip back just as easily as opposed to, oh, at what point now do I dart back out to uh, my flank? Yeah. So that works so well. And, uh, you know, that, that's more in keeping with like, I, I don't know, like a great sweeper, a Beckenbauer type who'd, head into midfield on occasion back in the day and then be you know head back back into defence so that worked really well Bayern were good until they conceded the second and then it was complete collapse and City started running riot and Haaland is now 45 and 39 which is faintly unbelievable it's like a you know playing championship manager back in the day or something yeah so cheat code stats I found myself thinking for the first time they never really great chance of doing the double feel like it's on 
Yeah, I I tend to feel like that all the time about Man City. Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, that, there is. The you know what I mean? I yeah. sort of tend to like. I I still can't believe they haven't won the league yet, and yet they still appear to be behind. <laughs> you know, like every time I look at the fixture list, I'm like, well, they'll win that game, they'll win that game, they'll win that game, and then they haven't. Yeah, and I I think maybe the one thing in the context of the league um, situation, I remember I think I made this point before, like the fixtures they have around this Bayern tie. Like, there's no doubt that like I don't think Pep he would be very very annoyed if he didn't win the league but I think that he would lose the most sleep from not winning the Champions League um, so you always have it in your head but if they end up in a very bruising Champions League tie at any point you know can this have a spill over and they're still in the FA Cup semi-final as well Sure, so there's a treble actually our next weekend to be thrown into it which Sorry, I'll, I'll upgrade that I I think the treble really yeah which on. leads to a, you know extra fixture congestion because they'll, they'll have a Premier League game that'll be refixed on account of being in the semi-finals um, and there is an element of okay so now the, even the second leg against Bayern isn't going to be that demanding and as it is their fixtures the next one is Southampton last weekend against Leicester and they can get through it um, fine and the semi-final again I think that, that that to me is the obstacle I feel like there's a danger Like at times they have shown this year they can take the right off the ball mm. um, and to me in some ways the Premier League race is more about Arsenal you know, and their nerve because I don't think City are going to win their way in. I think they'll drop points again somewhere. I think, you know, obviously, you know they have to beat Arsenal. I think they, I think they possibly will do that when it comes to it. I still just think as much as Arsenal have a tougher run in, I feel like there's possibly an Arsenal argument for saying if they can win, um, you know, if they can win all but one or win sort of okay, win all but one, they're fine. But like as in taking the City game out of it, even if they can sort of just not lose any of the other games, you know they could be okay because I feel like City will give them a chance again in the league um, but the Champions League thing like yes they should probably win it yeah. Um, but I mean they, they, they also contrive to lose it <laughs> a lot yeah. it's not a very original point like it does happen in such a way that you just can't say with confidence oh they're going to do it you know yeah so Real Madrid knocking around as I just uh, watched them here take Chelsea apart Carlo standing there a raised eyebrow if Man City contrived to lose this thing, somehow Madrid contrived to win it against all odds. Yeah. So they are shark-infested waters, but on current form, City look irresistible. We'll take a short break. I uh, want to chat to you about League of Ireland, which is uh, continuing apace. I know you were at the, the glamour tie of the week, so we'll come back in just a moment. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky Catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports. 2 0 Real Madrid, 87 minutes on the clock. Football on Off the Ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Now you're welcome back. No change to the burnabout, still Real Madrid 2, 10 man Chelsea 0, 2 minutes to go plus at a time. In the League of Ireland, Bohemians are six points still clear at the top of the table after nine matches played. But Dan, I think most people have noted the fact that Rovers were 2-0 winners against Bowes on Friday. Followed that up with a 3-0 win against UCD on Monday. So has the engine been started? Yeah, definitely. Um, now they would argue that the engine was already started. It just um, they kept stalling at the wrong point. Um, you know that the stats actually showed they were playing quite well when they weren't winning. Um, six games without a win. I think probably the concerning thing within that though was wasn't so much 
it was the way they weren't winning, you know, conceding a lot of late goals, which leads you to think, oh God, if they lost a little bit of that clinical streak, which has defined them in recent years, they were the masters of scoring late goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, now they, they beat Bowes pretty pretty well. Like they sort of bossed it. And, and the, the positive Bowes spin on it is that, yeah, maybe Bowes just need a little bit of a reality check. Okay, we're doing okay, but this is the levels you need to reach. And they then go and win in Derry and all of a sudden everything is rosy in their world. And maybe that's a great experience for them actually losing last Friday in hindsight but you just look at the quality that, that Rovers have and <clears throat> again there are levels within football we're talking about levels previously in the context of the women's game and, you know you would have like you know like, you've, you've people like Jack Byrne and Graham Burke who have played for Ireland right they've been Ireland internationals and you know when they turn it on and when they're on song on a given week you do watch them and go yes you know you are an exceptionally good footballer and when they click together as they did last week just thinking yeah like a, a side that has them in their arsenal plus Neil Ferrugia who's a um, terrific player who's probably going to ascend to another level and, and is in Stephen Kenny's thoughts and then like Rory Gaffney up front who's last year's player of the year and that's just four players in your front uh, I suppose five or six there for starters and you're thinking yeah like I mean if you have the best players you've got a good chance you know uh, over the course of time um, and just how they just watching Burke in particular actually just sort of uh, gliding around the pitch controlling the ball I mean you know Graham Burke and Jack Byrne anyone who probably knows football in Dublin like they are the, you know, the, the outstanding talents of their generation just didn't work out for them for whatever reason at a, at a higher level um, but we actually you know, in their age group, and um, there's Greenberg's a couple of years older, actually. But you know, Jack Byrne, I think he's like 96 or whatever. You know, there's not a huge amount of them around the international squad. Like they really are, like the, some of the outstanding players in that age bracket, yeah. and just they, it just hasn't quite ended up. And they're also probably two home birds in their own way. Greenberg in particular, um, who you know they, they're not going to be slogging around. They could be, they could be elsewhere really if they wanted to be, but they're happier at home at the top end, of, and they're good to watch. So I think, yeah, I mean, d- d- I suppose there's two talking points really. Rovers winning two games the weekend and, and three in a row prior to that, and Derry, who everyone was anticipating being the the challengers, um, have played two games at home in the weekend and lost both of them, which is. Uh, not encouraging if you want a title race to last the pace. I was momentarily distracted when you were talking there because there was a slow motion replay of the ball going out of play at around uh, knee height and it was firing in the direction of one Carlo Ancelotti. And uh, he stood there in his brogues and with the inside of his right foot cushioned it, then kneed it and then volleyed it back to his Real Madrid player and uh, put his hands back in his pocket. Just thought, Swagger. This man has is having <laughs> one of the greatly disrespected careers of all time in football, and uh, doesn't get the credit still uh, for the like iconic Happy. manager he is. Attendances I saw are notably up. Yeah, they're up twenty seven percent in the Premier Division. Um, that year on year. Yeah, on last it was just like I mean I think up to twenty compared to twenty nineteen I'd, I'd imagine the percentage is bigger and I think the one point we made as well the UCD are in the Premier Division if UCD weren't in the Premier Division um, and they were in it last year so there is a year on year element there but if you know UCD will probably go end this year and will be replaced in reality by one of Galway or Waterford so it's going to go up next year regardless what's a UCD almost. attendance 
Um, well, they haven't had like some weeks it's 400, 500. It was nine, I think it was a thousand. I mean, a thousand last week because they're playing shells. They'll go, in fairness, their home games, some of their home games thus far have been against, um, say, regional clubs as opposed to big Dublin ones. When they play the big Dublin ones, the crowd will be bigger, but they're not UCD fans. They're just fans of other clubs going there. And um, who is so. it that UCD want to support them? The students? Yeah. I, I, I went to UCD. It's hard. The people who are League of Ireland fans in UCD are generally and listen that's now a long time ago Joe but we were generally League of Ireland fans before we went there and had our own clubs you're not going to suddenly start supporting a college team I mean you see it like UCD will have some of the top Gaelic footballers playing in their citizen team or you know as other college teams we don't have a culture of going out and supporting our, our college team really in any code mm. in any sport it's just not we're not America with that and you know, but to be fair Sigerson aside not every college team is playing on national television in the top division of a football league I don't think it's beyond the bounds for UCD in the next decade or two to aspire to somehow create something where you tap into a bunch of people in their late teens early 20s who are looking for some alternatives things to do very sociable go as a group buses around the country all that kind of stuff yeah they've tried and I just think it's like the nature of you know student life is like transient you pass through and that's it do you think so? yeah I think so I mean I I was in the UCD for a long long period of time I used to live uh, overlooking the old pitch um, and yeah you try and get people to go and people would go maybe sometimes but I don't know it could go into a complete debate I think you know I think a lot more I don't know if even if, if if people feel that attachment to their university in Ireland that they do because I mean we have basketball teams affiliated to you know universities sports teams like rugby teams playing at a good level as well mm-hmm. and you might get them along for big events but in terms of like consistently it just doesn't happen like they tried playing on, they've tried playing on Thursday nights they, you know in the past okay. they've tried drink tokens they've tried all the the, the, the okay. tactics but okay. I think it's just harder for people to now I mean at the moment they are in the Premier Division and like as we pointed out like their their promotion of their activities so, wouldn't be particularly good if I was to try and uh, get you to you know in, in bullet points give me words which express your identity you're saying UCD wouldn't come out of your mouth too quickly uh, no, it wouldn't cross my mind. I mean, I had a great time there. I mean, yeah. this is slightly unrelated to League of Ireland attendances. Um, I had a terrific time in UCD, but I, my time there wouldn't inspire me to go out and support UCD in events that they play now. Okay. Um, I don't know. Where, I mean, where, like, I don't know, do you have any relationships like that with previous educational institutions you attended? No. No, so, so why are you asking me then? Well, anyone who don't play in the League of Ireland. So if, but if they did, would you be along? I would bleed whatever colour they play in. Because <laughs> they actually are, there is, they could be one of the teams in the expansion that might come into it. Uh, would all your alumni not suddenly get together and go, guys, you know, the big blue are out this the week or whatever, whatever their, oh, yeah. their name is, you know. But I mean, they, usually, I mean, it, they are the only low. The point is the attendance is generally a thriving. And the figure will be higher. This is back. To, we're coming full circle to the start of the show. Mm. Um, the figure will be much higher in terms of attendance if the stadiums weren't so terrible. <laughs> like, you know, that's the reality of it. There's health and safety limits. I was, I was speaking to a, a parent. I was speaking to a parent who, and he said, I'm just not bringing my seven, eight-year-old daughter to games. Yeah. Toilets, yeah, toilets are bad. It's just, it's just not a family-friendly affair. No, well, they went, I don't know where they live. If they went to Tala, they'd be fine. 
Sure. Yeah. He's not your talent. Yeah, there you go. And like, that's a massive frustration. Yeah. And it comes back to my point about the start. Like, you know, you're, you're hosting a big party here and saying, you know, we want to, we're good enough to welcome everyone here to a big, the biggest, the third largest tournament in the world. We can have that here. But we're in our own country. We don't really even enforce our own stadium regulations. And now we throw derogations out there left, right and centre. Again, it's generally no one's fault. Like, people have inherited, um, like, historical failings with stadiums. But it is true like it's a culture that exists that mediocrity of facilities is sort of entrenched um, and that's a problem like because people want to go to games now yeah. and sometimes it's just been turned away because the stadiums aren't big enough to accommodate them no it's fair uh, Mick tells me anyway I'm to bleed or uh, wear black so I would bleed black you would bleed black which yeah. isn't very healthy no no I, I could add a follow up comment there but I will, I will not do so <laughs> no <laughs> uh, we're pretty much done What's on the horizon this weekend, League Ground? Uh, there's two Dublin derbies on Friday. I'm say there's Dublin derbies every week, but uh, yeah, I'm going yeah, to... Yeah, Mick just said in my ear there's always Dublin yeah, derbies. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're having some of them on the same night this year, as in, like, there's two on the same night, so Rover Shells and Tala on Friday, but I'll be going to Bowes against St. Pat's in Daily Mount on Friday. And Dundalk Derry on Sunday because of the Biden visit and uh, policing uh, issues that Dundalk Derry game is Sunday, so I've got a, a rare double header in this weekend. When was the last time UCD were on national television? Oh, uh, I mean, I presume at some stage on our sport they were on. I remember they, the Shamrock Rovers won the league at UCD going back in time, so that game was obviously on okay. TV. But again, oh, if someone will correct me on this. Recent playoffs and stuff haven't been on uh, national TV. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. And come here, why didn't you enjoy UCD? No, we're out of time. We're out of time. We're out of time. <laughs> it was wonderful, John. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. No worries.